Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the first episode of the second season of The White Lotus on HBO and HBO Max called Ciao. Ciao, Sona. Bonjour, no. <laughs> I'm not sure. Is it's that a good, good morning? Response. Yeah, that is good morning. <laughs> so so we, we might be in the afternoon now. So when uh, Santa, that's night. When a Santa is night. So maybe I, oh, I got to figure that out. missing a portion of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the day Something is Something for us to work on. <laughs> <laughs> for next time. Exactly. <laughs> got to iron out the kinks. So I know we have a bunch of new listeners this week. I was just filling you in on that, Sona. So if you are new to the show, welcome. In the show, I make recommendations for my friends. This is a podcast that began during the pandemic. We just started having conversations here. And Sona, who was more of a fan of TV shows than she is of movies and music, which is usually what I would be recommending, we started to do deep dives into shows we were watching. And we've been doing this for over a year now. And uh, we've been having fun with it. Still fun for you, Sona? It is fun. <laughs> Great. And I know many of you are tuning in for The Peripheral. This is a very, very different show, but I hope you enjoyed it anyway. And I definitely think you should sample it. And since this is the beginning of the season, perfect time to give it a shot. If you missed season one, you should catch up on that. But this is an anthology. These are all new characters, all new situations. So almost all new characters. I put a caveat there. Feel free to jump in now and you could always watch season two as a separate, or I should say season one as a completely separate story. I don't think it'll be impact your appreciation of this that much. And of course, make sure you subscribe so you know when our episodes become available. Later in the week, as I mentioned, we will have our next recap of The Peripheral. Forgot the name of the show there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and we just wrapped up last week, two shows that wrapped up simultaneously, our House of the Dragon recap, which a show that I very much liked, and uh, The Patient, which I was covering here with Sona in these episodes, which we had many mixed feelings about. There were some very good episodes, but overall, I think we didn't love that show. But if you are watching it, or just want to get our general opinion of it, check out our re recap of those opening episodes as well as the finale. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, listen to some of our old episodes. We covered Succession. We covered Severance. Do you have a favorite Sona of any of these series that you covered? Oh, gosh. I almost feel like Mirror of Easttown because yeah. it's what we kicked everything off with. That's right. That's right. The original sin. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Mary Town, of course, another HBO show that turned into a huge hit last year, as did White Lotus. Speaking of which, they just recently won the Emmy Award for Best. I said it was comedy, so I got that wrong. It was the Best Limited or Anthology Show, which apparently. Okay, well, that makes sense. Which makes sense. Interestingly, I don't know if you knew this, uh, Sona, the entire category of Best Supporting Actress was all actresses from the White Lotus. Did you know that? I did not know that. That's interesting. So, of course, one of them won. <laughs> and it was Jennifer Coolidge, who's back in this episode, one of the few returning cast members. Yeah. And, you know, for some reason, I just don't. I, I like her well enough, but I don't understand the obsession with her. But, <laughs> yes. She's and again, nothing taste. against her. I have no, no problems with her, but people seem over the top in love with her. And I, I just don't quite get it. I think I mentioned this to you previously as well, but uh, it's funny that Mike White, who's the writer of this show, started this whole project writing it for Jennifer Coolidge. So the whole show sprang up around mm -hmm. her character, believe it or not. And then maybe, maybe she will be a through line for all these episodes. So hopefully she does grow on you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've been watching her for decades, possibly, and she hasn't yet, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I do also want to call out, first of all, uh, Mike White won for best writing and best directing in a limited series. I think he did a great job last year with writing and directing those episodes. I mean, the show has its, 
is uneven, but I think just from the standpoint of writing solid scripts and directing, I think uh, he did. Those were deserved uh, awards, uh, especially against like whatever the competition was, American Horror Story or some garbage like that. <laughs> oh, and the last one I wanted to mention here, of course, was Best Supporting Actor, which was also, I think, three of the five slots were filled by people on the show, all supporting, which makes sense, by the way, because who who would be the lead in this show, considering they all mm-hmm, have, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's truly a ensemble cast. But the winner for Best Supporting Actor was Murray Bartlett, who played the guy who ran the resort, who, I mean, honestly, I don't think that that first season of the show would have worked for me at all if he hadn't been so exceptional in that role. He was just so incredible. <laughs> and a recommendation before we get into all this, but I have a, a question for you also, Sona. But the recommendation, I think I've recommended this to you also, but it's apropos very much of this conversation. Mike White, I think the very first thing he ever wrote for HBO was a show called Enlightened with Laura Dern and mm-hmm. uh, which from probably from maybe five or six years ago. And, but that's how he started that relationship. And I think it was on for two or three years It was, and it was never that successful, but they did keep it around because it was one of those things that got Emmy nominations. But I love that show even more so than I'd say the, the White Lotus. It's about this woman who's doing the right thing. She's trying to be like a social justice warrior at her tech company that she works at. It's kind of prescient of all these kind of scandals that have happened at tech companies since that period of time. It wasn't really something that was in the news at that period of time. Seems more relevant now than ever. But she's doing that from a perspective of being like a really selfish, terrible person. (laughs) But she's still (laughs) lovable in her terribleness anyway. So I mean, I really, really recommend it. And that another example of a show that honestly, if Laura Dern did not nail that performance so incredibly, all that complexity that she's giving to the role that's not necessarily on the page, it wouldn't work, but it works incredibly. She's just such a great performer in that. Kim loves that show, by the way. So my wife. Hmm. Last question I have for you, Sona, is you probably saw the trailer last night for that Nexium, The Vow, Chapter 2. Did you watch that first season of that documentary? I did not, but there was so much chatter about it. It's such a crazy story. I, I have not seen any of the documentaries, but I heard the post- podcast series. Once again, everything's based on a podcast nowadays or vice versa. <laughs> this was the podcast that became that show. And mm-hmm. it's such a crazy story. So I'm just curious to see if you ever sample it if you to get your feel for it. But that's not here nor there. But it is out there just to remind everybody that they do have a second season of that show. Cameron really likes to watch macho reality TV. The guys are really ugly. Oh, my God. That sounds so bad. But they are. Honey, the people on Dateline aren't exactly attractive either. At least they're murdering each other. What do you watch, Ethan? Ah, what do we watch? Like documentaries? Ted Lasso sometimes? Love Ted Lasso. Oh, you like it? Yes, of course. So likable, right? I don't watch Ted Lasso. No? Yeah, such a good guy. Yeah. So much content now. It's like there's billions of shows. Everyone's trying to keep up. It's, it's kind of much. suffocating, honestly. Yeah. It's too much. It's, it's like whatever. we're all entertaining each other while the world burns, right? We're all just zombies, you know, like, oh. mm. I love a binge. All right. So let's get into this episode of the show called Chow. I did know this, but I didn't think about it. Chow can be hello or goodbye. Mm-hmm. And even though there was no episode, I actually double checked, there was no episode last year when the show was set in Hawaii called Aloha, right? Which would make perfect sense because Aloha is for hello. That would be a nice bookend. But not, not there. Here's another interesting thing that I don't think, <laughs> I like to break down these titles. I don't think this is intentional, but tell me what you think. I looked at just out of curiosity, where does chow come from? Where does that terminology, is that a contemporary terminology? Where did this come from? So I looked at the etymology of this word and it comes from 
medieval Latin, beginning of the word is slavius, which means slave, by the way. And then it became translated into Italian, schavius or schavo, something like that, which becomes, I'm a slave for you. So basically like kind of a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. And that got abbreviated to ciao, which is interesting hmm. because now it's just kind of like a hi, bye, like like a friendly hello, right? Even though it would seem to have like like heftier, almost like right. a term of endearment in the past. Right. But it made me wonder, you think about this in both of these seasons of the show, about these people who are being like subservient to these rich people. And do you think there's something intentional there or am I just reading way too much into this? <laughs> well, first, I'm impressed that you did this deep dive. <laughs> For one word. On an Italian greeting. This yes. is the kind um, of deep analysis we do here. That's that's why people are here. <laughs> and not to be dismissive of that, but I think maybe sometimes a hello is just a hello. <laughs> yes, it could be. It could be. I did think I was doing too much uh, reading into this, but I did find it very interesting, right? Like if I Down the to rabbit read, hole. If I wanted to read thematics into this, I think it's there. Although I'm pretty sure. They were just like, hey, it's like saying hello in the, at an Italian resort. Ciao. That was probably the extent of the <laughs> of the thought process. Hello to all these new characters. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like last year, the first episode was called Arrivals. I don't think there was maybe any debt right. about that. <laughs> but who knows? Hey, you never know. But who knows? Maybe something's an etymologist there at the show. Am maybe. I using that terminology correctly? <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, that's the person who Is researches bugs. Yeah. <laughs> But they're very close. I think one has an N and one does not, maybe. Etymology, entomology. Etymology, yes. So, ciao (laughs) to the show. And uh, the first thing we start with, we meet Daphne. We don't know she's Daphne yet, but she's going to be one of the main characters. And for a second here, I actually thought that she was talking to Sydney Sweeney, who was in the first season of the show. Uh, she with her sunglasses on. I'm like, is that the girl from the mm-hmm. first show who also is on Euphoria? That's why she's very recognizable. Although she was excellent in this as well. I think she got two Emmy nominations last year, one for Euphoria and one for the White Lotus. But then she like pulls up her glasses. I'm like, oh, it's not that girl. But I guess she's of a type. <laughs> I think I'm right. saying something, right? Yes. And she goes, oh, you're going to have such a great time. You're going to love this place. This is the end of our week. We're about to get picked up. You know, this is actually the, the turnover from one week to the next. And she decides to go for one more swim and she runs into a body in the water. And then we find out it's not just one body. We find out from Rocco, <laughs> poor Rocco and Valentina, who we get a little more, find out a little bit more about them. She seems to be like controlling in the same way or somewhat same way as we saw in the other hotel manager from last season. Can't we just like make this all go away? Like saying that there's a few bodies, a few bodies have watched yes. up. And they are guests at our resort. But the ocean is not their property. The ocean is not their property. Good point. Good point. But it's not good for business. That's for sure. Yeah. So what do you think of this before we even get into other additional plot? I didn't think they were going to bring this back where there would be a dead body at the beginning. But I guess this is going to be a formula for the show now that there's a dead body at the beginning of the show. We have to, or more, in this case, more than one. And we're trying to figure out or circle around to what led to this death or deaths. That's so funny because I assume they would be bringing that back. So <laughs> it, for me, it was just a matter of time before somebody ended up Someone dead. Someone dead's going to show the up. Open, it was right in the opening. So right. I thought very interesting that they would not put a precise number on the amount <laughs> yes. of bodies, you know, as far as us trying to figure out the mystery of this. So you like that as a framing device? I mean, I think yeah, it always like works, it. right? It always like works, it. right? So you got a mm-hmm. dead body that always attracts an audience, yeah. I'm sure. And of course, we flash forward one week earlier, very similar to what we saw in season one of the show. Once again, this is kind of becoming a formula that we're seeing some patterns here. Although you can appreciate the show without 
picking up these patterns, by the way. Another thing that's part of this pattern, which I thought was much better in the first season, tell me what you think, is the actual arrival. You see the characters. We're going to get to know these people. We're starting to see a little bit of the dynamic between the characters. And we also get to see the hotel staff where as they arrive and you see some of the chemistry between those folks as well. And I just thought, I remember the thing that hooked me in season one, this whole arrival, not only this much longer, by the way, I think it was at least an extra four or five minutes of seeing everybody on the ship and really getting a feel for all of those interpersonal dynamics. Also the staff, the staff on the shore waving for the mm-hmm. boat to arrive while they're like bad mouthing each other under there or like saying, did you, did you, did you do that? Did you do that thing I mm-hmm. asked you to do? And like, why, why are you so passive aggressive? And all that kind of conversation they're having with those frozen smiles on their face. My God, that whole thing made me laugh so hard. And uh, it was, you know, a muted version of that for me. Not, not as memorable as that first season. I understand why you felt that way, but for whatever reason, I like this better. You like the arrival better or you like this episode better overall? I like this one better. Cut to the chase. Oh, get yes. to the hotel. Yes. Let's yes. just start happening. <laughs> yes. I mean, your points are valid. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Just the overall conclusion of which you prefer. I preferred this for whatever reason I can't even put my finger on. Well, I think where you're probably right is that I feel like they have spread out some of that more across the episode. I do agree right. that as much as I loved that arrival segment of that first episode, I felt like very little happened after that in the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like you really had to wait mm-hmm. for the second episode to, to find out more about all this. And I guess in this case, they've just moved some of that discovery into later in the episode, which probably right. makes it. I agree. I think it makes this episode, this setup for the season, I think, is stronger in this episode. Than, than last I agree. Time. Yeah, last time I was like, I guess I keep watching this. <laughs> this time it's kind of like I have. Yeah, I'm stuck individual... here in quarantine. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> right. In this case, I have like individual character arcs that I'm very interested to find. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'd say all the character arcs I'm very interested in knowing more about what's going on. Notice that there is Luci or Lucia, who mm-hmm. is a prostitute who's scoping mm-hmm. out the boat, waiting for some guy who apparently she, I guess she can eyeball him. She's just playing coy or but she's waiting for him to arrive. She knows he's arriving on this boat. I guess there's only a few number of boats that arrive over the course of the mm-hmm. day to this resort, which is in Sicily or off the coast of Sicily, I believe, and is a real location, a beautiful location, by the way. Mm-hmm. And she's there with her friend, not a prostitute. She's a musician or would be musician. They have an interesting dynamic. Do you know friends like this where there's one, the one crazy one and the one more reserved one? That connects yeah, I mean, I've been that reserved friend. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived that. I was never friends with a prostitute that That's I know. That's what of. I was about to say. Do I want to add that? Not that I mean, but you know, some. Okay, never mind. Let's not go down that road. So, um, <laughs> I think a very true dynamic that exists between young women. Yes. Kind of that balance of like one being the devil on the shoulder and one being the angel on the shoulder. I love the introduction here of three generations of fa- of the family. F. Murray Abraham, who, by the way, just last week, I recommended this. If you wanted to see that anthology series on Netflix, that horror anthology, The Cabinet of Curiosities, the one standout, excellent, incredible episode there, so much fun, is called The Autopsy. And F. Murray Ab- Abraham, this actor, is uh, performing The Autopsy. And he's kind of like a Sherlock Holmes who's unraveling this very strange mystery while he's performing this autopsy, talking to himself and recording it on tape. And uh, it's just a great, great episode. And uh, here he is again, giving another very good performance. But just a reminder that you know he, he didn't disappear after he won the Oscar for Amadeus. <laughs> he's still around. Well, he was in Homeland. He was in Homeland, of course, yes. And uh, F. Murray Abraham being the grandfather, obviously. And we have 
Christopher from uh, The Sopranos. Michael Imperioli. Michael Imperioli playing Dominic, his son, who apparently is a Hollywood producer or some mm-hmm. big shot in Hollywood and is caught up in some kind of Me Too scandal, which I don't know if it's affected his career, but it's definitely affected his marriage. Yep. <laughs> That's for sure. And his son, Albie, which we'll find out more about soon. But I thought it was very funny that F. Murray Abraham is this old school Italian dad who's always flirting with every single mm-hmm. woman he sees. And he thinks it's like complimentary. I'm complimenting her by, you know, mm-hmm. sexually harassing her. The thing I love the most is Valentina here. This is a very big difference, I think, between the service industry in the U.S. versus Europe. And I think it's very telling here. You have in the U.S. where it's like everything's like, you know, catered to you, pampered to you. They want to make everything look like they're glossing everything over. They're always smiles and everything. And in Europe, I find people like very curt. Like they'll just be like, mm-hmm. you know, when mm-hmm. you're like, I'm still waiting for this bag or whatever they'll kind of be like well what do you expect <laughs> you can't you can't have everything <laughs> yes this was hysterical with the lost bag you're talking about yeah. oh right? my god yeah i have a story for that and i don't know if that character sees herself as putting her foot in her mouth but <laughs> right. i personally constantly put my foot in my mouth because i just don't have enough of a pause between the thought forming and it leaving my mouth I could see myself in her shoes so easily. <laughs> but I think it's cultural too. They just kind of tell you like it is. It's like, that's, yeah, that's, maybe. <laughs> and speaking of that, I, that's the story I was going to say. We went to Positano. We transferred through Rome. That's where we landed. The train, <laughs> and we lost our stroller. And this is when oh, Charlotte no. was two years old. I remember your wife telling me this story now. Yes. And we carried her everywhere in Positano, up and down steps, nothing but up and down oh stairs. My we God. did that, that uh, Highway to Heaven, the hike. Oh, my God. Holding her, like taking turns carrying her. Like my arms were burning the next day. It was like insane. Holy cow. Yeah, not a place did not have a stroller when you have a, <laughs> an infant. But yeah, you'll lose your bags when you transfer to Rome. That's, <laughs> that's the key there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the moral of the story. Exactly. So we see that, once again, the one returning set of characters as she gets off the boat here is... Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya, Tanya, what a name. She's Jennifer Coolidge in my mind. <laughs> she, she really is. That's the one role she plays continuously, consistently. Yes. <laughs> she has uh, arrived here at the island. Apparently she's been calling her husband who we met, uh, you know, he was like basically dying of some kind of respiratory disease. Right. And he mm-hmm. seems to have recovered as, at least as far as we know right now, but he's been, she's been texting him, calling him. He's been blowing her off. So something shady has been going on here while she's been away. The cat's been at play, I think. And we find out a little bit that she's been upgraded from a petal to a blossom. She's mm-hmm. part of the white Lotus. I wouldn't be surprised at all if everybody got upgrades after the whole incident <laughs> yes, in season point. one. <laughs> oh, and we find out not immediately, but we find out that Portia, her assistant, who is a uh, Haley Lou Richardson, who is a very good actress, by the way, I, I, she's been in movies that I've recommended here before. Uh, Support the Girls is one that I, one movie that I recommend here that she's in. Very good. And uh, also uh, After Yang, which I recommended earlier this year. Another excellent film. I think it's still available on Showtime. But in a very, very different register, if those two movies, she's like goofy and hilarious in one, very serious and somber in the other, but a very good young actress. And I uh, always like to see her in something. And she's playing Portia, this poor assistant who's been tagging along with Tanya, played by Jennifer Coolidge, and her husband, Greg, who's been there at the island. The next trio, we kind of got introduced to them earlier too, is we see it's Bert, the creepy grandfather, Dominic, played by Michael Perioli, and their son, Albie. Bert has his own room and Dominic and Albie have their own room. Is that how it works? I think all three three of them have their own rooms. That's the impression I got. It was a little confusing though. It is all three of them because what happens at the end would would only work with three rooms. Yeah, Yeah. right. 
What did you think about this scene? The conversation that Dominic has with his wife, Abby, I found this such a fascinating conversation. He's talking like they've just had a minor argument or something. Mm -hmm. And her response is stop calling me like this relationship is over as if even if they're still married on paper, they don't even live together at this point. Like she has no, right. she, and he's just kind of like, all right, call you tomorrow. Wish you were here. So bananas. This whole conversation was incredible. Yeah. And I can see myself doing this. Like she tries to make an excuse right up front. Like I can't talk to you right now mm -hmm. so that the conversation doesn't spiral into right. what it spiraled into, <laughs> right. but no, he keeps talking, you know, so then she just can't help herself from right. saying, okay, we're doing this then. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, just unloads it all onto him. And I mean, I related to that very much where you're like, I'm going to try and be the bigger person <laughs> right. and just hang up. And then when that exit passes, it's kind of like, all right, then you're going to hear what I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> And that's what's so fascinating about the conversation mm -hmm. is his complete cluelessness to not picking up on those cues, but more importantly, that she's trying to exit the conversation. Like you said, if he said, I'm sorry, you know, I was just thinking about you and just apologized and kind of tried to wrap it up. But he's talking like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, yes. Until, you know, she just gets driven insane being like, what do you mean? What do I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've had this conversation 50 times. What are you talking about? <laughs> and of course, she has to just lose it, completely lose it. Even when she hangs up the phone in a fury at the end, he still seems so flummoxed by this. Like, why is she so mad? Like, it just, well, it just really speaks to their relationship and his, you know, just to him. I just thought it was just a great way to tell you so much about that character in a single yes. conversation. And then we have a little uh, foursome here. We have Harper and Ethan and Daphne and Cameron. Harper is played by- Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza, yes. Who's probably one of the biggest names here in the show. So Harper and Ethan are married. Cameron and Daphne are married and they're friends. It looks like Ethan has probably started some kind of tech company out of college. He sold it recently. So now he's extremely wealthy. And Cameron, he seems to have been one of his roommates in college, kind of the fun guy who kind of ends up having these relationships that stick around after college. And these are still relatively young people. And basically Harper, who's a lawyer, by the way, so maybe you have some additional insight into her persona, Sona. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very interesting dynamic, basically. The two things I had to ask here was, what did you think about this dynamic between the couples, this kind of Ethan being like a very, oh, why are you taking everything so seriously type friend relationship he has with Cameron? Because I definitely have seen couples that function this way. Two couples were hanging out together, I should say. But more importantly, I'm thinking, what did you feel about this? representation of Cameron and Daphne as being these incredibly vapid, spoiled, rich people who just nonetheless really just love being rich and just love being around each other. Like maybe they have not a thought in their heads, but they seem to be very happy in that relationship as opposed to Harper and Ethan, who seem to be very um, vexed and concerned about the state of the world, but it doesn't necessarily make their relationship pop in any way. I loved all of this. I, I did too. I did too. I love this. Everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. There are things that I loved about the Aubrey Plaza character. Yes. There are things I hated about the yes. Aubrey Plaza character. I have lived being in the Aubrey Plaza <laughs> character's shoes. <laughs> so I get it. Um, 
I like the wealthy couple. They haven't, mm-hmm. the yep. woman at least has not done anything unlikable or passive yeah. aggressive yet. Yes. Um, she seems like she is just enjoying her life. And, you know, <laughs> yes. listen, that's a way to go. The world may be burning around you, but you're <laughs> having fun. So, <laughs> I mean, there's some respect for that. I love the whole dynamic and I am dying to see how all of this plays out. Yes. I love this. I, I agree. This is probably the thing that is the most compelling in the whole entire show. I very much want to know more about Dominic and this kind of weird passive aggressive way he has. He later on sticks his son hanging out with his grandfather when his grandfather falls down. He's like, oh my God, that's terrible that that happened. Why don't you sleep with him tonight to make sure everything's okay? Well, right? he's got a prostitute coming. He does. Well, I mean, once again, though, you could <laughs> delay that till tomorrow. He's going to be there for a week, but of course he's not going to do that. So it's like kind of speaks volumes about his kind of... Uh, entitlement, even within the context of the family. So that's all very interesting. I'm very curious, more so than about Tanya and what's going on with her husband, more about what's going to happen with Portia, who has to like shuffle herself off out of their sight at all times after being shipped across the the world to to be her support animal. Maybe I'm just being too practical. I think you could be outdoors with a big floppy hat and sunglasses, and that guy's not going to really notice you. Yep. So- I would just stick to the daytime hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To, to that point, did you watch the featurette that comes on afterwards? I don't think I did. I think at the end of each episode, they're going to have a small like behind the episodes. And I'm assuming, I've only seen one episode of this, but I'm assuming they're going to have different cast members talking about their interpersonal right. dynamic. And for this one, they had Jennifer Coolidge and Haley Lou Richardson talking about their dynamic, like as if they were the characters, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. talking about themselves, but they're like saying, you did this to me, but they're saying that as the characters saying that the mm-hmm. characters did this to each other, right? So you kind of see that dynamic playing out in their relationship. And Haley Lou Richardson says about her own character, saying that she's the type of person who has something given to her that could be a positive thing, but she's only going to see the negative of it. Like everything's like happening to her. So mm-hmm. I think to your point, she's sitting there moping, crying because she's, you know, has to hang out by the pool, but she just has to be available so that she can get back to the hotel within a period of time. If this woman gives her a phone call, she could go sightseeing. She could right. hang out by the pool. Like, I think that she's right. intentionally seeing the worst possible Interesting uh, version point. of this. Yeah. And I think it's part of her character, them making her be like, oh, what a victim. And I think that mm-hmm. she is partially culpable in her own understanding of, of what's happening to her character. So what did you think about when Albie and Portia meet up by the pool? Albie seems to be concerned because she's crying. He's also probably just interested in her because she's someone who's of his age group. He's ashamed to admit that he went to Stanford. Portia went to Chico State. I mean, is he ashamed or is he doing like the cute thing of like how people that went to Harvard say they went to school near Boston? Maybe, maybe. But he seems to have his own like embarrassment about it. And then she says, why are you embarrassed about that? But then she does seem to kind of judge him for it. But then again, she seems to be stalking him on Instagram Mm -hmm. or something later on. Mm -hmm. Question I have for you, even though that's later in the episode, how did she find him online? I had that question as well, but then I figured that Gen Z knows how to do this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Also her dad, he says that my dad's like big in Hollywood or something. So maybe she figured out who the family was. And then of course he knows his first name. She knows her dad's, his dad's name potentially. Maybe maybe she searched Instagram posts that were tagged at the hotel location. Oh my goodness. Good job. Good job. (laughs) That is possible. And then she just has to narrow it down. Right. We do get to see Tanya and Greg together here. 
And it's interesting early on that she's really annoyed that she has brought Portia with her because he wants to be like a romantic getaway. Mm-hmm. And instead, you know, he seems to be like really abrupt with her. And then they have this terrible sex scene. First of all, she tries to seduce him by putting his foot on her boob. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does the very romantic thing of going like, hey, I have to like, you know, change my clothes and take a shower. I have swamp crotch. And she's like, oh, he's always thinking about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then the creepiest part of this whole thing is, oh, I have to go circle back to this. We see that as they're having sex, that she has this vision of his face being one of these decapitated head mm-hmm. statues that are all over mm-hmm. Sicily, which we have to go back to because that's such a big part of this, which of course ruins the mood. And he goes, what happened? What happened? She goes, I was disassociating. <laughs> She's disassociating during sex. <laughs> She's hysterical though, the way he went sliding off of her. <laughs> Yes, like she just pushed very them away. funny bit of physical comedy there. Yes. Just slid right <laughs> off the bed. <laughs> Let's go back to that story because it's probably going to be important later on in the sh- in the show. But apparently, I looked this up. Another thing I did as part of this the incredible analysis you get on this program, <laughs> <laughs> I did look up this story. Which there, first of all, this is incredibly racist artwork which they've dampened in, in this uh, show. But there are these very cartoonishly African featured. Uh, pots that people grow their plants in in Sicily. And apparently it's based on the story of this Moor who uh, had a local, like kind of a Romeo and Juliet type story, had a local girlfriend. She found out that he was married and had lied to her about it. And then she chopped off his head and put it in her house and grew some basil in it. And the basil grew like crazy. It was very successful. So it became a tradition to have these pots that are shaped like this Moorish guy's head. (laughs) Nice. Not, I don't think this is historically accurate. This is more of a you know myth, but that's the underlying story. So I did find it interesting because you know you can read about like what does seeing these heads, which we see multiple times here. First of all, mm-hmm. Tanya has this like vision of this one of these pots uh, when she's having sex with her husband, and then it's the very last thing we see at the end of the episode, right? As we mm-hmm. see um, one of the characters kind of like staring intently at this pot and disturbed by it. The music is very disturbing, so. I wonder if these people are going to end up decapitated, the, the, the bodies they find, but, um, or if it has anything to do with this story at all. But that's interesting that they introduced that so early in the episode. Did it make you think of anything in particular? No. I mean, obviously, I do think they are planting the seeds for something further. I was much more interested in the macaron plot line that followed. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. This is hilarious. How many yes. are there? What oh, my God. I completely forgot them? about this. Oh, my God. I completely <laughs> forgot about Macaroon Gate. And it's such a great joke here. In the, <laughs> There's all these little passive-aggressive behaviors in these couples, which I guess is one of the pleasures in watching this show both seasons. But once again, to your point, Sona, I think so well-defined in this particular episode alone. He says, if you want to lose weight, which, first of all, body shaming her, right after having sex with her and then saying, you know, you shouldn't have eaten all five of those macaroons. And she goes, well, I only ate three of them. Well, first she denied doing it. Yes, true. But also I don't know for a fact, if not looked up the calorie count of a macaron, (laughs) but they are very light and airy. I'm just not sure how much damage you could be doing calorie wise by eating three of those. Yeah. Eating the bowl of pasta, like to his point later on in the show, eating the entire bowl of pasta was probably significantly more uh, rich. Yeah. Like I just, I mean, it's like egg white and almond flour. I, I, I just don't think you're doing that much damage, but I mean, it's neither here nor there to the point they're trying to make, but just practically speaking. 
And she does indeed find those two macaroons later. And he's kind of like, so what? <laughs> but yes. he's on a phone call. I think the, because the, the, he's being sneaky. Yeah. Yes, he doesn't exactly. have time now to discuss the macaron gate. <laughs> exactly. We got to figure out what, the, what what's going on with that conversation. All right. So the next thing, speaking of being passive aggressive, we see that foursome again, Aubrey Plaza, Theo James, and their uh, spouses hanging out together. And there seems to be a lot of bristling about, you know, we talked about it earlier that great dynamic is you just see that she's right, but she's also kind of like, come on, can't you just do a better job of making this? By the way, I've been this person, like to your point, I've been this person where like everyone's supposedly just having a great time. And I'm just like annoyed by some of the people who are mm -hmm. the, the dynamic of the group, let's say. Mm -hmm. And then I put it on myself being like, why am I being such an asshole right now? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that is Cameron's secret power. Maybe he makes everybody feel like they're the asshole in the group. <laughs> <laughs> And to that point, he you know, basically says, oh, uh, I want to go for a swim. I don't bring my, I didn't bring my swim trunks. She's like, oh, it's okay. He has extra swim trunks. We can go back to the suite and pick them up. I need to get some suntan lotion anyway. And very importantly is that Cameron decides to change out of his clothes. He knows full well that she can see him in the reflection in the bathroom while she's trying to get the suntan lotion. He changes positions in the room. He walks into frame basically so that she can see him disrobing behind her. This whole thing is just to create more tension with her, more tension between her and her husband. This is all like pretty shitty behavior. What did you think about this whole thing? Maybe this is just like, I am seeing things where there aren't. I think this is part of a long game to get her into bed. Oh yeah. I think that's part of it. I think even if he doesn't get her to bed, I think it's just to try to seduce her, right? To just make her, mm -hmm. once again, just to drive a wedge between the two of them, just to make her, like anything he could possibly do to get No, I think this is fun for him. This is entertainment oh, yes, for him. Exactly. And that's why I was saying that I think maybe that's his secret power is uh, making everybody feel like they're the jerks when he's the one who's manipulating mm -hmm. everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, I found myself wondering, am I again sympathizing with a person I'm not supposed to be sympathizing with? She clearly is quite tightly wound. Okay. Yeah. Um, even in the best of circumstances, right? She needs an Ambien to go to sleep. <laughs> yes. I mean, you don't, you don't she, use, you don't use an Ambien to sleep. She's just so surprised <laughs> that they don't take pills. Right. You can actually <laughs> fall asleep on your own. <laughs> try being a working parent. Your body collapses the second. <laughs> exactly. Second you can sit down. Yeah. So, I mean, she's legitimately an uptight person, not just because of the ambient, because, you know, a lot of people do have trouble sleeping. The combination of circumstances, she is in a vacuum uptight. But yeah. at the same time, it is kind of crazy that she can't, the one lady can't remember whether she voted or not, that yes. they don't watch mm -hmm. the news. That, <laughs> right. You know, all of that, you know, that's valid. I think that goes back to what I think works better. I think you're right in this show, if, especially if it maintains this tone throughout, is that I did feel like there was some degree of just cynicism in the first show, maybe not even intentionally, but it was there. And what I like here is that from the very start, everybody has their point of view, right? Like the couple that is happy in their empty headedness has their point of view. Aubrey Plaza's character, I agree with her more than I agree with them. But at the same time, I'm like, you are here for a week, like try to make the best of it. Right. So I feel like everybody kind of is in the wrong and in the right at the same time. The reaction rate of seeing how the rooms connect. Oh, we're not going to need that. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Instantly, you went on vacation with your friends. <laughs> exactly. Just with make your, the best your quote unquote friends. Theoretically, you might want to open the connected door while you guys are getting ready for dinner and like have a drink or whatever. Right. Like it's fun to have connecting rooms. So, 
<laughs> you know, and the doubt that their affection is sincere after five years of marriage. Like right. as someone in a fairly affectionate relationship, like, no, that can be a real thing. You're just <laughs> right. being, you know, very, very um, skeptical. So long way to agree with you that I think one of my initial, my problems with the first season is that I felt like I was supposed to have this disdain for these people, but I didn't understand entirely why, aside from them being very wealthy, right? which is its own, own annoying character trait sometimes. But for this show, I did not feel it had earned the amount of disdain I was supposed to have. Here, I think they are painting a much more complex portrait of who these people are instead of like a one-dimensional thing, which is, I felt, one of my main criticisms of last year. Yeah, I think I agree with all that. But maybe should have circled back to this earlier. But throughout this episode, we see a few different times where Lucia and Mia, her friend, mm-hmm. try to <laughs> they're trying to sneak into the hotel. They're waiting for the guard at the door to um, let them in. They snuck in one time. They got shuffled away by Valentina. And basically, she posted people at the door. But then they get uh, an opportunity to sneak back in. So we find out some things about Lucia. So she started by someone had instant messaged her on Instagram or something to uh, giving her $50 to <laughs> take pictures of her feet. And this was like a gateway for her to become a full-time prostitute because she's like, hey, you know, might as well make some money. And she's trying to get Mia to do the same thing. She goes, hey, you know, I'll do all the work. We'll just pretend we're having a threesome. I could charge more money. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. just trying to like, kind of say, come on, it's not so bad. Take advantage of your youth. What did you think about the dynamic between these two? I know you said you've known people like this before. I honestly don't think Lucia is a malicious person. I think that she is very much like a free spirit and maybe her boundaries are much different than Mia's. I don't think she's trying to mani- like what Cameron is doing to potentially seduce Harper in kind of a, a more malicious way. This seems to be just come on, live a little. Is that what it feels like for you? When I look back at my life, one thing I regret is not appreciating my youth, Yes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And the currency of yes. youth. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it just gets you so far, that <laughs> yes. glow of being young. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that at the time. And I think Lucia is somebody that gets it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right? And so I think she's smart. Yep. I think... At that age, maybe I would have sold pictures of my feet for $50. That's <laughs> easy money. That's easy and money, And there's exactly. no question, it's me, that's not morally <laughs> right. ambiguous even. Like, they're just pictures of my feet. Anybody can see <laughs> them in public anytime they want in the summer. So <laughs> um, I, I think she's a smart girl. And I think, like, listen, I'm coming at it from the perspective of, like, I think sex work should be legalized. I think, like, if you want to do that for money, that's your right. And that's a political viewpoint that I understand that everybody has. But so for me, I just feel like, you know, she sees this as part of like her currency at this stage of her life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know how it is around these resort areas in Italy from a realistic standpoint, but from being in Brazil, for example, it seemed like (laughs) a significant amount of the women in the area who even had like regular jobs were kind of like, I'll date a tourist for a week while they're here. You know what I mean? So it was, it seems to be more culturally commonplace, maybe not everywhere in Italy. I shouldn't say that, but maybe because this is like a resort area, maybe there is kind of a more, Mm -hmm. right? Like for example, if you're just going to hook up with some guy that you're, you know, having fun with some rich guy 
at a resort anyway. Like, why not cash in? <laughs> That's how I feel, to be honest. I mean, I no judgment from me. I mean, I probably listen, I might have sold pictures of my feet. I probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> right, but right. nothing against anyone who would. I do want to flag though Valentina's line I thought was very funny about she's a really fast slut or whatever it was. <laughs> yes, she yes. Said. She did they, they it was like a magic trick. It was literally like they disappeared when they went around the corner. So you know, she, she knows where all the bathrooms are apparently and snuck one into one. Yeah, I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> oh my God. Speaking of hysterical dialogue, first of all, they they sneak into a bathroom and she gets her all dolled up. That dress is unbelievably short, by the way, but she looks incredible in it. So I'm not gonna mm -hmm. say anything. But I couldn't believe how short it was when she see her walking away at one point. I'm like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a really short skirt. She dresses me up. You know, she's brought a dress and everything. And I like when she does her makeup and she looks at herself in the mirror. Finally, she goes, oh, my God, I look like a prostitute. And me is like, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Lee, Lucia is like, exactly. But the whole dinner, oh, my God, every conversation at this dinner I found was so hilarious or so relatable. First of all, you see Portia. He's like saying, I had to eat. <laughs> she's getting yes. scolded because Tanya's angry that she's at the restaurant. Put the menu up in front of your face. <laughs> so that whole thing is funny. She ends up leaving, by the way, because she gets just mm -hmm. stared down by Tanya and she ends up eating in her room. But much more funny. Oh, my God. I laughed out loud multiple times with this whole conversation between the three uh, the the father, the son, and the, the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. The father, the son, and the <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> when you see that the uh, grandfather is like hitting on every single woman he sees. Mm -hmm. And then Dom is saying like, well, what are you doing? Like, do you think you have a chance with any of these women? And then of course, that's what we find out that he has something shady in his past going like, I still like young women, no matter how old I get, you should understand that, which probably right. speaks to Dom's, uh, you know, issues with his wife, of course. But more, the funniest part of this whole thing is when Albie is like saying that, hey, you know, uh, once you can't procreate anymore, like women should not have to look at your genitals, like when you're 50. And then the dad all of a sudden is just like, what do you mean? 50? 50 is not that old. <laughs> but the <laughs> best part, the best part, and he goes, no one should have to look at your genitals after a certain age. And the grandfather says, God, it just seems like the body would naturally stop getting horny once you're past the age of procreation, you know, like at 50, you would just stop. 50? 50's not that old. It just seems undignified. I'm still virile, by the way. I could still impregnate a woman. Oh. No girl should have to be exposed to an old guy's junk. It's not like it was ever so beautiful to look at anyway. I mean, it's a penis. It's not a sunset. <laughs> it's, it's not a sunset. <laughs> oh, my God. That whole thing cracked me up. The other thing that I thought was so relatable is I've had this conversation with my wife when we're splitting our meals. Oh, yeah. Just like uh, Harper and Ethan, where she's like saying, well, I don't know if I want to get that fish. It's a fishy fish. Kim is exactly the same way. She goes, she likes fish, but it can't be a fishy fish. So I'm like, man, I've had this conversation splitting the salad and which entree are you going to get? And anyway, it's very funny, this kind of practical conversation. And of course, to that point, driving the nail home again, we see that Daphne and Cameron, empty headed or not, they seem to know each other much better than this other couple. My husband and I have had numerous conversations about the fact that he will not share food. It's <laughs> oh, right. rooted yes. in some childhood experiences that we don't have time to get into. But as someone who loves sharing food, tasting what's on other people's plates, this is something that I have had to accept that um, we will not be sharing anything. You get what you get. I get what I get. We all move on with our meal. 
So I would never find myself in this specific situation, but I thought it was very well done. The whole negotiation of it, we're here all week. Why can't you just get it another night? And then she realizes how she's coming off to everybody else and tries to save face by saying, no, we'll get it. But you can tell that she's just like, not sincere about that at all. I think in most situations, because we have this implicit agreement, we're more like the other couple of like, we're here to have a good time. What is everyone drinking? (laughs) um, That's about it. But I thought it was nicely done. Yeah. And and I want to circle back to something else I forgot to bring up. I mentioned that she was a lawyer, but not only is she a lawyer, she is a lawyer for employee rights. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, this is, we don't know exactly where Cam uh, when he got his money from, he might have just gotten it from his family, but they seem to be in this VC high tech world. And, uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of labor issues in that world right now. So he kind of seems kind of dismissive going like, yeah, you know, don't you think that's kind of overstated? Oh, yeah, but it is real sometimes. But, you know, (laughs) which once again, is kind of people politically, even liberal people, by the way, I do have this similar conversation with sometimes. I mean, this endeared me to the Aubrey Plaza character (laughs) because she does plaintiff's work. I do plaintiff's work. <laughs> she does stuff that people roll their eyes at and think is like just a money grab. And I do stuff like that too. <laughs> so um, I get it. And I have been exactly in her shoes in that conversation. of like, <laughs> let's not go down this road because it's going to end in raised voices and hurt feelings. Meanwhile, also at dinner, we see that, like I mentioned before, that Portia gets like scared away, literally have horror movie strings on the soundtrack when uh, she makes eye contact with her, like basically saying like, get, get out of here. <laughs> and she does. Room. She gets yeah. it. Yeah, go to your room. Exactly. She leaves. She mouths it, right? She mouths. Go to mm-hmm. room. And then she tries to sell the caprese salad to her husband going like, how was it? I hear that the cheese here is made by a blind nun in the basement. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure how that makes the cheese taste better, but whatever. <laughs> And then we get towards the end, not really that surprised that, of course, of all these people who could have possibly hired the prostitute, it turns out to be Dom. She's found his room. They have a kind of an interesting conversation here. Once again, I really like Lucia here. She seems to have a very, like, he's more uncomfortable with the circumstance than she is. She seems to be like, we know what we're here for. Like, she seems to be, Mm -hmm. I'm maybe, I'm going to ask you at the end who your favorite character is. I think maybe my favorite character is Lucia right now. I could see that. And then, you know, we go back to that last final moments. We see that Daphne and Cam are having a pretty good time in their rooms while <laughs> I like Aubrey Plaza says that they are their white passing friends, diverse friends. <laughs> yes, which is an interesting point. Aubrey Plaza is um, is Latina. Yeah. And uh, this actor is I think he's half Japanese, but it's like, so it's kind of funny that they're like, they're white passing because it's like, yeah, you could just say they're white, but maybe not exactly white. So they're off white enough to, to count in their, uh, you know, for diversity among their friends, uh, for, mm-hmm. as far as Daphne and Cam goes. And then, of course, we have the Mac Room Redemption. Supposedly, Greg is talking to Bob, quote unquote, but unlikely. Maybe here's something I just thought about as I'm having this conversation. Maybe I'm thinking too much murder mystery plots. But do you think the reason he's annoyed that she brought Portia is that he's trying to off her for the money, you think? Oh, my goodness. That hadn't even occurred to me. Once again, maybe I'm thinking too much Agatha Christie here, but <laughs> but she's worth half a billion dollars, apparently, much richer than right. I thought Crazy. from the first. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have that final moment between Daphne and Kim as they're you know frolicking next door. And I loved um, Aubrey Plaza's comment. Is he hurting her? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, she doesn't even recognize when they're playing. <laughs> They have to listen more intently there for a minute before they hear, hear the laughter. And then, you know, they kind of uh, 
have a much less uh, sexual relationship. They curl up like back to back. And that's when we see who, which one of them, I forget, one of them is staring at this pot, the decapitated I, pot, once again, foreboding. I think it was Aubrey Plaza, but I'm not yeah. 100% on that. Ominous decapitations <laughs> that decorate Sicily, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's traditional. It's traditional. So who was your favorite character, you think, out of all those? Do you have a favorite yet? It's either Daphne or Harper. Interesting. Daphne or Harper. That's an interesting combo because they mm-hmm. seem like very, they're two very different. They are, yes. <laughs> you have one but that takes everything way too both. seriously and one that probably right. doesn't take anything seriously. <laughs> yes. I'm enjoying them both a lot. I, Daphne strikes me as that that woman that you're just like, oh, she's so sweet. She's so nice. Like, not a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> right. But like so kind and sweet that how can you complain? And what'd you think of the episode overall? I mean, I think you were pretty happy with it, right? I really enjoyed it, I have to say. Yeah. You know, I didn't know how much conversation we would get out of it, but I think we had a pretty good conversation here. Well, I have one more question for you. Yes, please do. Who do you think is dead? Oh, I don't even know. I can't imagine. Uh, didn't think it was one of the trio that Daphne would know, because I think she would be way more freaked out when she saw the body in the water. The leg looked smaller. But what if they're decapitated? <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, hmm. I, this is such a bizarre thing. When I was thinking about decapitated heads on the show, I was thinking about like a boating accident. I did not think about like a murder. Mm. But, but uh, it could be. I mean, I would not be surprised if there is a decapitation, even if it's an accidental one, because there's all this imagery here about the decapitation. So three bodies. Could it be the three generations of men? Maybe they go on some kind of boating expedition or something. And something happens to them? Oh, maybe. They did confirm it was a murder, I think, right? In those opening scenes. Well, the cops are investigating, but I'm not sure if they said it was a murder. Maybe they did. Maybe maybe I'm misremembering. I mean, a murder of multiple people, that would be quite, uh, that's a pretty dramatic turn here. But I mean, I'm open to it. (laughs) I'm just saying that it it just makes me, just makes me think like, wow, that is quite an escalation (laughs) from like, you know, accidental, you know, whatever drowning of a few people like who are. You know, uh, if it's an intentional murder, there is a lot of talk of murder, by the way. I forgot about that, too, where Daphne's saying that she most she doesn't watch the news, but she loves watching the Dateline because, you know, a lot of people like a lot of couples killing each other, especially. And on I related to Daphne so much <laughs> every Friday night, you <laughs> know, are. after everybody's settled into bed, after my kid is asleep, I look at my husband and I say, well, time to figure out which husband killed his wife and why. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's 2020 every Friday night. There you go. <laughs> Uh, appointment viewing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they might fold a little of that into this too. It would be too bad if it was something like that because Daphne would be the perfect detective for that. She has all that experience, but it might not work out because unless they give her an episode there at the end to <laughs> unravel the mystery, that would be kind of fun. Could you imagine? Like we don't spend the whole time in the flashback. We actually flash back, flash forward, I should say, to the beginning of the episode and we have the murder investigation. That would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Isn't Daphne one of the Scooby-Doo gang? There you go. She is. There you go. Could be. Oh, did you watch any any spooky season watching for you guys? Well, I watched um, Barbarian. You did? On your recommendation. What did I you did. Think? Did you enjoy it? I don't know how to feel about that movie, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It was, so it, it was so much. It was a lot. It was too much. <laughs> There were some interesting things there. There were some disturbing things there. There were some things that didn't add up there. There were some really stupid decisions made by absolutely everyone. Mm. Um, uh, 
I do have an issue with the movie. The one main issue I have with the film is that I think she is so smart in the first half. So smart, right? And then so stupid. So dumb. Like you just call the cops so before you go downstairs. Stupid. That whole walking downstairs by herself is insane. So like, stupid. She could still, even if she's like having feelings for this guy, she trusts this guy. She wants to go rescue him. First of all, she should be extremely suspicious still. But second of all, the fact that just call the cops, call 911 before you go downstairs. That's yep. it. Yep. Yep. If Woody had just gone straight to the police. Exactly. None of this would have happened. But yeah, other than that, I do find it like the movie just goes completely off the rails after that halfway point. And it's- uh, Uh-huh. Yeah. It does. And I mean, how funny. I mean, I think what I like about the film so much is I love the smart things it does in, for example, you see the microaggressions that she is seeing in this other tenant of this you know, Airbnb. It's like he's doing favors for her. She didn't really ask for He's like, you know, oh, you know, he, he's over explaining why he hasn't opened the bottle of wine, which makes mm-hmm, him look even more suspicious. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff is like this, all these like little weird behavioral things that make her super suspicious. And then I love the counterpoint of that with Justin Long's character when he's like, oh, my God, look at all this extra square footage. Like he's seeing everything from a <laughs> yes. completely different perspective. It's hilarious. Well, to her point, right, that a white man would handle the situation completely differently than she was <laughs> handling it. So, yeah, all of that was very funny to me oh i thought you were gonna have more fun with it i apologize for that then i'm not sorry i watched it (laughs) (laughs) you just wish i had got a different route right i would i would have preferred it stay as a thriller i agree with that i actually agree with that but i did think it was fun when it goes crazy banana you know goes completely bananas and it doesn't forget what it's about in a way like there's still the thematics of by for example this absolutely terrible justin long character who doesn't think he's a bad guy <laughs> that's kind of like his and he just keeps yes. doing terrible 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 things, things. and keeps oh saying God. that he's a good guy yeah. he's not a good guy at all and justin long by the way gives such a great performance in being like a total piece of garbage and then being simple you know then you sympathize for him then he's just so funny so, yeah I, mean, I just think he did such a great job as well but so yeah i if if they had worked out the kinks of some of those illogical stupid moves i think it would have been stronger as well yes i agree uh the one recommendation i had i think i recommended this to you already there was a movie that i was wanting to recommend last week because it was like nowhere on netflix but it actually ended up becoming pretty popular on netflix and it's called the stranger And it's based on a real life murder case from Australia. Joel Edgerton is starring in this. And uh, it's just such a fascinating story. I don't even want to spoil it, but the tone is just so creepy. I I had no idea. This is like an incredible sting operation to capture the serial killer. And I'm like, I cannot believe it. They have created a whole criminal network and everybody in it is a cop, but they are literally working as criminals to maintain these, uh, this, uh, cover. And I was like, wow, apparently this operation was called Mr. Big. And they would like kind of bring in their suspects as part of this criminal organization, gain their trust and eventually get them and then capture them. So it was, I'm like, wow, just finding out about that whole operation is like, I can't believe that that Australia does this to capture their criminals. It's so complex. But more Hmm. importantly is just finding out the weird parallels between this terrible person who seems like such a damaged person, but is obviously a killer and the Joel Edgerton character who ends up being one of these undercover cops and how it starts to, you know, going back to the idea of the patient or mind hunters even more so, how that starts to eat away at him. Like, you know, mm-hmm. his, um, you know, having to sympathize with this terrible person so for so long. So anyway, really good film. And I'm glad that it actually turned into a hit on Netflix. But I remember when I watched it, 
I couldn't even, I had to like do a search. And then even when I did a search for The Stranger, it was like the second or third option. I'm like, oh my God, no one's going to find this movie. <laughs> and then uh, I didn't recommend it last week, but by the time I was browsing Netflix, it was like number two on their top 10 movies. So like, okay, good. Where the math has gotten out. But uh, if you haven't caught it yet and you're in mood for something more substantial, uh, I definitely recommend that movie. But it is a downer, but it is, a, well, not really a downer in the end, but it is, you know, it's a, the t- tonally, it's, it's a dark movie but not a downer over anyway i'm looking forward to next week can't wait to see where these crazy characters go me too thank you for the conversation thank you all right i'll talk to you you later bye